From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, August 5th. Swanee City Park in the summertime. People are milling about the Moab Arts and Ag Market for produce and crafts. Some lie in the shade in the grass, others throw a frisbee around, and citizen Mark Horowitz stands on a raised platform reciting Rumi. All of my atoms shine in sublime resplendency. This is the second time Horowitz has brought a soapbox to the Moab Arts and Ag Market. He's well known, mostly to city and county elected officials, for showing up to their meetings week after week, taking the allotted two or three free speech minutes to tell them what's on his mind. But in this setting, I don't hear any railing against local leaders for something they did or didn't do. I'm hearing mainly poetry. It's uh, an opportunity to uh, express your free speech uh, on any topic, any, any topic. But most people express themselves uh, most often in poetry. You'd shown me flight with the dance of your wand, long embrace. One young person recites what sounds to be an original poem. In this outdoor setting, you can tune in, as some people do, sitting close and giving the speaker their full attention, or tune it out, let the poem drift into the background. The speaker wraps up, and another person steps onto the platform. Hi, uh, my name is Allison, and I am just letting you all know that this weekend we are hosting a volunteer opportunity with Canyonlands Field Institute and the U.S. Forest Service. Um, If you'd like to join us on Saturday to do some... The soapbox has a long history. Before cardboard, manufacturers used wooden crates to ship their wares. These were readily available, easily portable, and could quickly become temporary platforms for street corner speakers to improvise outdoor meetings. Soapboxing has often been closely tied to the right to speak. Noam Chomsky said, if we don't believe in free expression for people we despise, then we don't believe in it at all. Quoting Chomsky, Horowitz may have anticipated my big question, a general feeling that it could be strange, even seen as risky, in today's political climate, to have a raised platform with which to encourage extemporaneous speech in a public setting. We live in an era where we have more tools than ever to be on our own virtual soapboxes. But that's a strange place, too, with followers, advertisers, political silos. Bringing a microphone into a park seems old and new all at once. It's, it's not just about speaking your mind, it's about respecting the other guy speaking his mind, even if you differ completely. Who was it who said, um, I may not agree with you, but I will defend to my death your right to make an ass of yourself. Horowitz hands me a homemade card, an invitation to the party party, where everyone can speak their mind. First and third Thursdays of the month, of course, at the Moab Arts and Ag events from 5 to 8 p.m. Everybody loves a party. So we start off with what we have in common. Uh, What can we talk about that we agree on? Does a person deserve the constitutional right to freedom of speech? I'm sure we can all agree to that. Does everybody deserve love? I think most people would agree to that. Does everybody deserve a home or food? Well, many people would say, well, not unless they work for it. Okay, we begin to disagree, but beginning with a platform of uh, what we have in common, we can have a discussion based on respect. That's what I hope. Let me tell you a quick story about chocolate. I had a very good friend of mine. There wasn't a whole lot of political talk last night. One candidate running for county commission just got up to introduce their platform letting the minglers at the market know they're here if they want to talk. Teresa King read from a chapter of a book and told a personal story. I said, where can you get this chocolate in the United States? 
Yeah, really. I'm so pleased that Teresa King, of all people, Teresa and I are bookends in this effort here, the, the first effort of the party party. She's the responsible part of the party, and and I'm uh, I'm the cook. At King's encouragement, Horowitz started the Citizen Soapbox after feeling frustrated that the two to three minutes at the city and county meetings just weren't enough to satisfy his own need for expression, reciting poems and sharing amusing anecdotes. This type of stuff you won't get at those meetings anyway. What's going on? We got the football team here. Yes, sir. You gonna step up or what? All right, guys. So today we're selling these Red Devil cards for $25. They have discounts to all these various different stores and gas stations and all that on the back. The Grand County High School football team in uniform asking people to support them this season. And yes, there is a typo on the discount cards they're selling. So the year's wrong on it, but all the stores on here are aware of it. Thanks, guys. It's a fundraiser for the high school football team. You might recognize these guys, uh, and if you don't, they might just tackle you. For in-person community announcements, storytelling, poetry, and more, you can find the Party Party and its Citizen Soapbox at Moab's Market, first and third Thursdays of the month from 5 to 8 p.m. Colorado River activists are calling on the federal government to make upgrades on one of its biggest dams. They say water levels in Lake Powell behind Glen Canyon Dam could dip past already historic lows, too low to pass through the pipes in the dam and on to the millions who depend on it. Eric Balkin directs the Glen Canyon Institute. Climate science has been very clear, and it's clear that the river hydrology is most likely going to get worse. So we need to have every tool available to address this crisis and if the problems at Glen Canyon Dam aren't addressed soon, it's going to be bad for all stakeholders. Balkan and others say the federal agency that oversees the dam should modify those pipes, allowing more water to pass through and allowing states in the upper basin to meet their legal requirement to deliver water downstream each year. This comes after the federal government demanded Colorado River Basin states conserve an unprecedented amount of water, giving them only two months to figure out where they can save. And there's more Glen Canyon news to show us what its reservoir, Lake Powell, looks like at this historic moment. Luke Runyon from KUNC took a boat trip with some longtime river runners. Mike DeHoff steers his small metal motorboat down what you could argue is the weirdest stretch of the Colorado River. The water is supercharged with sediment and roiling, the same color as a latte. I think that we'll see a place where the river's no longer, the current is no longer moving. This is the delta of Lake Powell, the place where the flowing Colorado River meets the Stillwater Reservoir. Gnarled spires of clay rise up out of the river channel. DeHoff calls these mudbergs, like icebergs, but made of mud. They're formations created by a river that hasn't flowed in this reach for more than 50 years. The mudbergs that we'll see defining and um, changing the river corridor, they change day to day, month to month. That's Terry incognito for me. Lake Powell usually conjures images of wakeboarders and houseboats, not mud rapids. Its low level is terrifying to water managers, but DeHoff and other longtime river guides and environmentalists see this moment as hopeful, not catastrophic. When the reservoir was full, where we're boating now would have been deep underwater, a muddy mess of river sediment. With the reservoir at a historic low, the lake bottom is exposed and the river is carving through it 
creating a bizarro world where everything you see is made of mud. This is like a river on an acid trip right now. Dehoff has spent decades running raft trips down Cataract Canyon, the area just upstream of Lake Powell known for its whitewater rapids. For the last five years, with a few partners, he's run a project called Returning Rapids, an attempt to document the change happening here. We set up camp on a sandy beach nestled inside the mud canyon. Dehoff takes a seat in a fold-up chair with Pete Lefebvre, a longtime river guide. The two work together on the project. Early on, Lefebvre says they found that asking one simple question, where can we go rafting, often led to 20 more about sediment, water supply, hydropower production, and the future of recreation here. We just didn't even expect to be studying this area the way that we are right now. Yeah. Uh, Just because of how fast the river is moving downstream and the lake is dropping. The federal government has recently pulled emergency levers to prop up Lake Powell. Without enough snow in the Rocky Mountains and downstream demands for water going unchecked, Lefebvre says it feels like the whole Colorado River Basin is at a breaking point. I think that we don't, as a species, react until it's like, oh man, we need to do something. And we're getting to the point where people are saying, man, we need to do something. The next day, we motor into Lake Powell and veer up into one of its many side canyons for a hike. We splash through a flowing creek full of tadpoles, run our hands over towering willows. Oh man, that smell. The willows. Smells so alive. Eric Balkin runs the Glen Canyon Institute, which advocates draining Lake Powell and moving what's left of its waters downstream. He points out a high water mark from the reservoir stained on the red rock 100 feet above our heads. There are a lot of big changes coming to the Colorado River, and this is one that's a good change. You know, to see this canyon come back is really special. Some environmental groups want to see the dam decommissioned and the canyon behind it restored. Balkin says this current moment of reckoning on the river, where users are collectively trying to figure out how to use less, should be seen as an opportunity. Now we're being given a chance to rethink this place. And the reason why it was a mistake was because it had so much value beyond a storage tank. And with the reservoir on the decline, Balkin says some of those values are a lot easier to see, smell, and feel. I'm Luke Runyon, near Bullfrog, Utah. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by our partners at KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. And now, PZMU's Justin Higginbottom has the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Moab City passed a workforce housing ordinance this week. That law requires developers to set aside at least 33% of new units in two of the city's residential zones for local workers. Doug McMurdo from the Times Independent has more from their coverage. It was a special meeting held 8.30 uh, Wednesday morning, and the city council uh, voted uh, 4-0 to approve the new uh, workforce housing ordinance, which uh, in a nutshell, the two uh, the two zones in the city of Moab that allow multifamily housing um, will have to, the developers of in places in, in that zone will have to uh, set aside 30% of their units 
um, for workforce housing. They'll have to make them affordable. And this came after uh, lengthy negotiations and discussions with the local real estate company, state officials. Uh, it looked like a compromise was made, as uh, Councillor Luke Wojciechowski put it. Um, it's a good compromise because nobody walks away happy. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what he said. And I, th- and I think there's probably a lot of truth to that. So hopefully, you know, with the Royal Crossing, I'm going great blazes over there. We've got photographs of, of work going on over there. And it would, to go with this story, maybe we can make a dent in this and, and, and turn the tide a little bit. Yeah, hopefully. It seems like one of the solutions and a whole bunch of solutions that a city council and a Grand County Commission are considering. This ordinance, they've been working on this for a while, right? Absolutely. Uh, it was set for um, a vote to take action uh, back in March. And uh, local realtors uh, showed up to uh, you know voice their displeasure with that. And uh, the city... Um, and, 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 you know, in the interest of reaching a compromise, postponed that. Uh, and, and then they were going to do it again in July, and they postponed it. But in the meantime, and, and you know, since March, there's been quite a bit of discussion with, um, with all of these groups. And Randy Day, um, he, he kind of tepidly um, supports it. And Randy's the president of the Utah Realtors Association. So he's got, um, you know, he's a longtime developer here in town. I believe he's been born and raised. So with his blessing, uh, for, for lack of a better term, I, th- I think that this has a real shot at, at, at doing something. Excellent. And this applies to only new developments, correct? Right. And this will run in tandem with the accessory dwelling units legislation that was passed by the um, state lawmakers, where if you can feasibly do it, you can build a second home on your own property and and rent that out as well so that that might bolster uh you know make more housing affordable and what is an accessory dwelling unit okay it's um confined to owners you can't rent out a home and then build an acu behind it if you are a homeowner and you have the land and the desire you could build uh say an apartment above your garage or you could build a small home on the back of the property you have to live in that in the primary residence in order for this to be legal but you can um, generate income by by building a second accessory dwelling unit it sounds like something you would hear on the Flintstones, but <laughs> in any event, um, I don't make up the names the government does. And this has nothing to do with the ordinance. It's just another another tool in the toolbox. Right. It's from the state to the city to the to the county, it seems like everyone's working to, to figure out these issues. Yeah. You know, Corey Shirtleff, the uh, the planner for the city, he says that the housing market is still being driven by, by second homeowners. And that is just completely unsustainable. Absolutely. And I've also seen some uh, smatterings on social media where people are getting their tax bills and taxes are going up, you know, 100% for some people. Other people, it's $100. But if you made any kind of improvement to your property between now and the last time that you were assessed, um, you're going to see your taxes go up. And, and I think that has another you know ripple effect because a lot of people that have been here forever, they're on a fixed income, they can't afford to pay the taxes. So they might own their home outright and still struggle to pay the taxes. So that's pretty tough. (laughs) Excellent. With this ordinance, will it be challenged? You know, I think it could be challenged. I think it could wind up in the courts because I I can't believe that anybody would willingly 
give up a nickel in real estate because the whole game is to make as much money as you can and and um, put it to the best use. It could go two ways. There could be no development of multifamily homes and instead other kind of development going up because they don't want to deal with it. Or somebody's going to say, you know, this isn't fair. I want to challenge this in court and let a judge decide on what we should do. Um, that's always a possibility with just about everything we do in life. Okay, so what, what else do you have for us on the front page here? Well, um, flights are down. Uh, cancellations are up at um, Moab, Can- uh, Canyonlands Regional Airport. Uh, reporter Ashley Bunton did a really good job. She t- talked to Hammy- Tammy Howland, the uh, airport director. And uh, a lot of that has to do with um, weather has played a role. The high price of gas has played the role. Tourism in general is down in, in uh, the uh, Moab area. But all in all, I think a, a total of 16 flights have been canceled, either outgoing or incoming. I hope mine isn't canceled because I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. So uh, uh, hopefully that does uh, get up into the sky. I don't think it's a really um, a red flag yet. I th- it could be. The folks at SkyWest, um, they say that uh, despite the, the 16 cancellations since January 1, all things considered, it's still very rare occurrence for a flight to be canceled. We didn't get hammered like they did uh, elsewhere. But there's a pilot shortage. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for uh, for flights maybe not uh, not getting in the air. And what, what else do you have? Well, on page B1, Sophia Fisher did a great story on um, a potential uh, plan to extract lithium from the Moab area rather than uh, natural gas or... Uh, oil or something like that. I mean, the, the process is probably very similar. They have new technology. It's unproven. What makes this an important story, um, in addition to the obvious environmental concerns, is lithium, uh, it's not a precious commodity, but it's a, a very valuable commodity. It's in our cell phones. It's in uh, batteries, uh, car batteries, specifically for electric cars. And it's important because if we have our own lithium, we don't have to worry about supply chain disruptions. We don't have to worry about unfair competition. Um, we'll be more in control because there is a push now, as you know, to uh, to make computer chips, computers, and mobile phones, and electric cars, and move all that stuff here. Because the COVID pandemic, if there's a silver lining around it, is uh, we found out just how vulnerable we are as a nation and how in other nations as well, when that supply chain gets disrupted. Um, you know, I don't know where I stand on this personally. I have really mixed feelings. Um, I think, come on, can't we find it in Cleveland? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, um, do they have to pick the most beautiful area? Right, right. Uh, but it is what it is. So we'll see. Yeah. And it looks like they're using, in this case, at least old oil infrastructure to go in and uh, extract the brine and then see if there's enough recoverable lithium within that brine. So maybe it's not as damaging to the ecology as, you know, setting up a bunch of new infrastructure, new, new oil wells. Right. And that, that information I found in, intriguing. I used to cover the gold mining industry in uh, Nevada, and uh, I learned that if you have gold, you also have silver and copper in the ground almost all the time. 
And then it's a game of, well, whatever we have the most of is what's economical to take out of the earth. You know, companies around the world are looking for new deposits of lithium as the demand for batteries and these electronics go up. And southeastern Utah is is contending, at least, and that can bring, I guess, a lot of benefits economically. I'm, I'm sure you interviewed a conservationist in here that, that warns against that kind of extraction, especially with our history um, with other extractive industries. Yeah, and you have to cover that, and they have legitimate concerns. But I think lithium truly is um, something that we need in our everyday lives. Everybody has a cell phone. Eventually, everybody's going to have an electric car. So these are all things that we need to look at. Can you tell me about the story on the casting call in Moab? Yes, July 29th and 30th. Friday and a Saturday, they had a casting call for Kevin Costner's new uh, project, uh, Horizon. And they were looking for indigenous people. They were looking for cowboys. They were looking for horse riders, people that wanted speaking parts, people that just wanted to be an extra. And uh, about 400 people showed up over the two days. Wow. Um, Friday, I was number 326. I uh, actually did participate. Oh, wow. um, I I wasn't willing to sit in line, uh, stand in line for as long as everybody there was, that was there earlier in the day, like my girlfriend and her sister. They uh, they were there for hours. Uh, it took me about forty five minutes to get through the whole process. They took my photos. Uh, they uh, made me hold up some stuff. They asked if I had tattoos. They asked if I could ride a horse. It was a lot of fun because who doesn't want to be in a movie? You know, it's um. Uh, I think everybody, anybody would like to be in a movie just just because that's our culture that's what we do and i have not got a call back but i have spoken <laughs> to several other people who have oh excellent and um uh, i i have high hopes for it it's good for moab it's good for our reputation and it's going to infuse a lot of money into the local economy which is a big thing yeah what a great opportunity and we have such a history with filming westerns around uh this area too speaking of that if i can just end with one little anecdote Back in the 50s, the Comancheros was filmed here. And there's a scene in this movie where uh, an actor by the name of Stuart Whitman hits John Wayne over the head with a rubber shovel. And the reason why you know it's a rubber shovel because it basically makes a U. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the funniest things ever. In another movie that was filmed here with John Wayne, you could see the um, Fisher Towers in the background. And then there's supposedly they travel like 100 miles and you could still see the Fisher Towers <laughs> in the background. So knowing the location, knowing knowing the geography, it's, it's really easy to just kind of um, laugh when you when you want. They're comedies all of a sudden. They're not they're not Westerns. They're comedies. So it's pretty funny. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Doug. Doug McMurdo, editor at The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at MoabTimes.com. It's mosquito season in Moab, and city workers have found an invasive species of the insect in the valley. Allison Hartford of the Moab Sun News has more on this disease-spreading pest. The Aedes aegypti is an invasive species um, that was found in Moab in 2019 and then again in 2021. Um, And now the Moab Mosquito Abatement District has found it again. And... Why should residents care about that? Do these mosquitoes carry disease? Yeah, so um, this species of mosquito can transmit diseases like the Zika virus um, and yellow fever. And so it's kind of been like a big deal for the past couple of years. And, 
you know, as we know, it's mosquito season again. And so the um, abatement district technicians are trying to use like control measures, but they're trying to avoid fogging this year, which is always kind of like a controversial thing in Moab. Yeah. So right now they're trying to spray the larva with this substance that is like a soil bacterium that's toxic to mosquito larva. Interesting. And you, and you said they were invasive, so they're, they're not native to this area? Right. Um, yeah. And they were found at the Center Street ball fields, which is also where they turned up in previous years. Okay, great. And that, so the technicians, what will they be doing now to, to, I guess, take care of this invasive species? Yeah. So they're spraying the larva. Um, but then they also mentioned that the most effective way to prevent the species or any mosquito species um, from getting a foothold in Moab is to remove breeding habitat. Um, And so the abatement district is asking residents to survey their properties and dump out any standing water um, and remove containers or objects that could collect rainwater. I mean, especially now after we've had some rain, um, there are probably containers like in your own backyard that have been filling up with water. Um, and that's where mosquitoes can breed. So, so residents, if they, if they notice standing water in a bucket or something on their property, they should probably just dump that out. But if they notice larvae, should they contact anyone with the city? Yeah. So if anyone is getting bit by mosquitoes during the day or if they're experiencing any other problem with mosquitoes, um, they should contact the Mosquito Abatement District. Excellent. Thank you. And what else do you have in your paper this week? The Wannabe Players is a new improv group in Moab. Um, They've been meeting every Monday at Rotary Park since June. And I went to one of the meetings and This group is like super open, anyone's welcome, and really the purpose is just to have fun and to practice improv. Could you describe what is improv? It's basically like little skits, but you have no script or anything. And so um, the way that the meetings usually go is they start with a warm-up. In this case, the meeting that I went to, um, the warm-up was Alien Dance, which is kind of this like pass-along dance move game um, where you make up a dance move and then you have to pass it to the next person and they morph it. And then the meeting progresses with a slew of games. So they played Actor's Nightmare, in which one person reads from a script and the other has to improv off of them. Another game called Before and After, in which two players are given a scene at the beginning, like you're at a restaurant and then they play it out and then the audience decides if they want to see before or after the scene and this group also played freeze tag where any player can jump into a scene and make it their own Um, so it's this very quick thinking very fun and funny thing excellent did you participate or were you just observing i participated a little bit but improv isn't really my thing i think i would probably freeze up too much (laughs) yeah same here and i imagine you don't need any experience in improv to participate with them right not at all i mean even me like anyone is very welcome um you just have to be willing to practice and have fun awesome And I I bet it's pretty funny, too. Yeah, it is pretty funny. Um, And there's kind of a core group. So it was started by Pippa Thomas um, and Donnie Kiffmeyer, who are both part of the like Moab theater scene and have been for a while. You know, every skit is like this opportunity to have fun. But then also Pippa and Donnie and the other members of the group will 
give each other tips um, and kind of do like a critique of what they saw. Well, excellent. And what else do you have? The Full Circle Intertribal Center has finally found a new home. Um, so this is the first Native nonprofit in Moab, and it's one of the only nonprofits that is dedicated entirely to the Native population. This nonprofit, they wear a lot of hats. They do almost everything. But They've never had a physical center that's completely theirs. Um, so especially throughout the pandemic, they were um, like bouncing all over the place. And I talked to Kristen Ramirez Marsh, who's the executive director. She said they were meeting crisis clients in parks um, and they were working out of the Grand County Public Library and the Moab Arts and Recreation Center. Um, and they were bringing their Native Youth Alliance just anywhere they could. And so they're really excited to have a space that is safe and stable. Great. And what, and what sort of things are they doing or what, or what sort of things could a resident find there if they visited their physical space now? Their official mission is to nourish healing through Native American traditions and cultures. Um, and they do this by offering crisis management and advocacy, youth programs um, with the Native Youth Alliance, uh, Native community dinners and youth mentorship through their Nourishing Traditions program. They're the only place that does Certificate of Indian Blood paperwork between Grand County and the Navajo Nation. They also have men's and women's groups, and then they do a bunch of other things, too. They offer wellness packages um, and food deliveries. And so Kristen said that the nonprofit has just created all these programs in response to the needs of the local Native community. That's excellent that they found a spot in Moab because that's, I imagine, quite difficult. Right, yeah. And so it's kind of like they can finally split these things into like literally separate rooms. And so Kristen was saying she's also really excited because the new space will give them like the literal space to bring on new staff. So they're hoping to bring on new crisis advocacy staff, um, which hopefully she said will allow them to expand their community outreach um, and do more programs like the Native Youth Alliance and the Nourishing Traditions program. It's going to be in the old Utah State University Moab campus. And so that campus was bought by the Moab Free Health Clinic. And the free health clinic is trying to use kind of the leftover space to create this resource enclave. And so the Full Circle Intertribal Center will be there as well as the Arches Education Center. Yeah, that's an exciting space. It seems like their plan is to have a wide range of providers in one location that residents can go to. Is there anything else you'd like to mention about that? Yeah, so I went to the building um, with Kristen, and right now it is empty, but seeing it through her eyes was amazing. Like, she was already breezing around. She's already at home, um, and she already has plans for, like, which walls to knock out and floors to redo, and she's going to have a painting party. And so it was just really exciting being there with her and seeing like through her eyes seeing everything that the nonprofit will become Allison Hartford staff reporter at the Moab Sun News subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com that's it for the weekly newsreel where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes at our website kzmu.org or wherever you listen to the kzmu news podcast as always thanks for tuning in and supporting kzmu community powered radio